0: Whisper still, because StreamYard, that's why. Anyways, welcome to Kassah Live, everybody. Uh, Thank you all for joining us today on this wonderful Saturday. It is Saturday, right? It's still Saturday.
1: It is still Saturday. Gosh, I
0: hope so. My days are running together so bad. So bad. But yes, thank you, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. John Haymaker in chat. Bill W50, welcome. Skip Murray is here. Excellent. Christy, Addy, Danielle, uh, Peggy at Source. welcome. Jeremy is here. whole bunch of great people here. Adrian, I see you guys. Mallory Gates is here. Welcome, everybody. It's Saturday. We're here to do the darn thing. We're here to do the darn thing. Real quick, I got to know. Hey, how are you, Kristen? Real
1: quick. I'm start with me again. <laughs> uh, doing good. Doing good. Had a pretty good week, except for the blizzard that came through. Course we have to talk about the weather. What else are we gonna talk about? Right? Well, it's April.
0: <laughs> of course, you're it, gonna have a blizzard. It,
1: it was crazy. It was like this windstorm and and snow, complete white out, trees banging against the house. It was just it was very scary, and um, Wild. thankfully, it was it didn't last too long. But we have snow on the ground again after having like 50-degree weather the other day. Yeah, um, spring
0: was like just kidding,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, that's Wisconsin. Yeah. If you don't like the weather, just wait a minute and it'll change.
0: Yeah. But, yeah,
1: uh, yeah but other than that, uh, I'm trying to think. There's something I was going to talk about, and now I don't even remember what it was. Oh, wow. Well, like must not have been that important. That's why parents used to always say, if you can't remember, it must not have been that important. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> but everybody's healthy. My son's got his taste back from uh, COVID, so that's good. Good,
0: good, um, good.
1: And I think that's, that's about it.
0: Good. I'm I got my taxes here. done. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Last month.
0: Oh, taxes. <laughs> Sorry, get, I had to get I'll that dingy on
2: tomorrow.
0: you. <laughs> Put it off to the day before they're due. Alex, hey, how are you
2: this week? Hanging in there. It's Saturday, so that's good. It is. Yeah, it's it spring, is It's springtime around here. It's yeah. Finally looking like spring.
0: Yeah, yeah. Everything for me, everything is just mud. Though we've had a bunch of rain, and so everything is mud. This is, I don't even refer to this as spring. For me, you know, being a landscaper, working outside, doing what I do, this is just mud season. That's all much.
2: it is. It's yeah. just
0: mud season.
2: I don't
1: like spring.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but yes, thank you everybody uh, for joining us. We do have a special guest on mm-hmm. today. We have Dr. Brad Radu who will be joining us later to talk about all sorts of good stuff. Uh, and Alex, we've got some legislation at the end of the hour. What do we got coming up today?
2: It's not much from last week. There's, there's nothing really different. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at Hawaii. Um, uh, Colorado is still an issue. And um, uh, folks in San Diego uh, are looking at a a flavor ban being voted on by the full council coming up. uh, And also just a note about an election coming up in Washington County, Oregon. Um, And other than that.
1: Possibly Alaska. What's that? Did we do another? Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, Alaska hasn't changed either. So we'll just
0: mention it again. So a few quick additions and, uh, and a recap basically from last week. Pretty much all right well right on well without further ado we know who everybody is here for today so are we ready you want to do the thing let's do do the thing thing. all right let's do the thing we we just have a deep dive bumper still we need to get like special guest explosions (laughs) fireworks but yes everybody welcome dr radu thank you for joining us today
3: it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's always a good time around here on a Saturday. You know, <laughs> always a good time to talk about tobacco and tobacco harm reduction and nicotine and all the sorts of things, which is kind of your area of expertise. So, for folks here who don't know you, aren't familiar with your research or your 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 writing, uh, give our audience a a rundown of who you are, what you do, and and how you got into this this space.
3: Well, I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Louisville in Kentucky, and I hold an endowed chair in tobacco harm reduction research at the Cancer Center here. I got into this field back in 1994 when I published three papers in the scientific literature, um, most, well, entirely about smokeless tobacco. At that time, that was the only other smoke free option for smokers. And because of my experiences as a pathologist and a staff member at a major cancer center in the South, um, I came up with an idea that smokers' lives could be saved if they switched to an alternative form of nicotine. And so, um, I uh, uh, put out three scientific papers along that theme, and um, that started a career in this field. Uh, it's now going on 28 years.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, 1994, I was, I was three. Whew. I was three. Oh, God. <laughs> just, I just like aging everybody because I'm the youngest one. <laughs> got, so Thank yeah. Kind of one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, I, I hope you treat all your
3: guests uh, in, in this way, you know, really <laughs> <Feel it> well.
0: <laughs> but yes, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, I, I guess uh, on the the whole concept here of, of smokeless tobacco, my first real question for you is, you know, what are some of the most common misconceptions about? oral tobacco and smokeless tobacco, and within that category, which is kind of broad, you know, we've got snus, dip, chew. uh, We have newer nicotine pouches as well. Um, Are there really any risk differences kind of within the category?
3: Well, let let me address that by starting at the beginning. So I'm trained, number one, as a dentist, but I specialized in pathology. And so I've always stayed at academic medical centers. I've never been out in dental practice. And as a pathologist, I saw biopsies first at Emory University, where I trained, then at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, a large cancer center. I saw biopsies from all over the Southeast, and and some of them were biopsies of mouth cancers. And so for years, I would diagnose probably 50 or 100 mouth cancers a year in this biopsy service. And I would also at the cancer center be on the team which takes care of the clinical problems of patients with cancer who are getting radiation and chemotherapy. Lots of problems there. So I saw cancer firsthand under the microscope and in the clinics and in the hospitals where I took care of metastatic lung cancer patients and others. And a lot of these cancers were related to smoking, of course. Now, after 10 to 12 years, I came upon a real revelation. I was in the middle of dip country smokeless tobacco country, lots of chewers and dippers, and yet virtually every cancer that I saw under the scope or clinically were in smokers and heavy drinkers. None of them were in dippers and chewers. Hmm. This was a revelation because I had been taught that smokeless tobacco was a death sentence for mouth cancer, and I was teaching my students that. And so back around 1990, I started to do a real, real heavy research into this area. And I basically found out that, that dipping and chewing products were not heavily related to any form of cancer, or for that matter, any almost virtually no disease. Now... I did encounter an occasional mouth cancer in a smokeless tobacco user. And believe it or not, it was in a lady in the South who was using powdered, dry snuff. Now, if you're not from the South and have never been there, you don't even know what that product is. (laughs) It's, It's an obscure product. And it goes back to the Civil War. Women in the South use that product as a smokeless product and it turns out that that product was completely different than the dip and shoe products and it also turns out that it can cause mouth cancer because the processing the manufacturing is completely different than dip and chew. and in fact all of the studies that you see in the literature, including the famous one from Deborah Wynn and her colleagues in the 1981 New England Journal of Medicine, it turns out all of those cancers are due to powder dry snuff. None are due to dip and chew products. Well, that was being withheld from the American public, from American doctors. Mm. and. Everybody misunderstood it. And so I made it my career goal to try to inform not only smokers, but dippers and chewers about these differences in risk so that they could lead longer and healthier lives. So sorry to be so lengthy in that. No, no. Uh, But that gives you some indication of how I was drawn into this field. You know, unlike most tobacco control or smoking uh, researchers and policy folks, I'm not in addiction. I didn't come from um, a policy standpoint. I came from pathology. I saw these diseases. I saw these people get very sick and die. And so I've always had an urgency about my work in order to reach the largest number of people. I wrote a book in 1995 and published a book for smokers only, how smokeless tobacco can save your life. And so I've been intent on reaching out to you and informing you about, about, and what I see now, the misinformation that I saw with smokeless tobacco, I now see exactly the same tactics the same playbook with vapor. And that's why that, you know, I'm trying to correct some of the most egregious uh, misinformation uh, that's coming up.
2: I, I think you, you, you may have, have, have kind of answered a question that I'm, I always have and I always sort of struggle with, you know, sort of pinpointing um, and with kind of evidence Uh, It's sort of a a what did they know and when did they know it kind of thing uh, as far with regard to the the sort of misinformation or withholding information. And I've always I I, I have pegged it around, you know, the early to mid 80s, um, especially around when uh, uh, skull Bandits were introduced and and there was a marketing campaign. It's sort of I guess it's kind of one of the early examples of modified risk being thrown at at the industry and that you can't make those claims. Uh, the ad, of course, would take a pinch instead of a puff. Exactly. Like any rational consumer is like drink Coke instead of Pepsi. Not this is safer than that. Um, but it, it's it's it is kind of shocking to me to hear that it it, it really is. We've sort of known that. Kassah has known this. I, you know, thanks to your work and and others that you know all of these this misinformation is based on the dry nasal snuff. But how is it that that researchers at the time I, I mean, were the tools, were the intellectual, the logical tools not available to say, oh, wait, this is a completely different thing compared to moist, smokeless or, or even chew? And, and where, where, where was the disconnect there?
3: Well, I can tell you, Deborah Wynn, when she published that study in the New England Journal of Medicine, it went nationwide. Mm. And when it went nationwide, all they said was smokeless tobacco. So they... Basically incorporated all smokeless products. They didn't distinguish. Now, if you're an epidemiologist, the first thing you do is you define the exposure. And she right. didn't. She didn't fulfill the first thing an epi- an epidemiologist is supposed to do. So that was a that was misinformation from the get-go. And she never backed away from that except in two very obscure meetings where she admitted that she'd been studying only dry powdered snuff. She did that in two obscure meetings that nobody's ever heard of. I've documented all of this on my Raw Do Tobacco Truth blog in in, uh, blog posts. So all you have to do is put Deborah Wynn, W-Y-N-N, in the search function and you can get the entire story that I'm telling you tonight. And
1: the the link to Dr. Radu's blog is in our description and I just posted it in the uh, comments as well. Do you think, Dr. Radu, do you think that, I mean, obviously this is just opinion, you can't say for sure, but was, was she, was that intentional? Was she a part of some kind of like uh, anti-smoking groups or anything like that, that she would have, that kind of links you into thinking that that was an intentional mislead, or I, best, best intentions type of thing. Oh, it's it's powder, but you know, I, I guess that's kind of what Alex was getting to. Was it was this something that was intentional, or was this something that they just didn't know any better?
3: No, I, I I'm sorry, but I don't know her intentions, so All I right. can't speak to that. But I think the mistake that was made is intolerable. There is no way that she didn't know that this was a special form of powder dry snuff. And the reason is it was all in women. Men don't use that product in the U S and, and uh, men use dip and chew products. And there is, it's, a, it, it's not just like you can confuse these products. These sure. products mm. are completely different yeah. and, 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 but the thing is, is when you start in the initial study, and then it, it translates into this huge misinformation campaign about all smokeless tobacco products, it's virtually impossible when I started out in 1994 to correct that. It just, you know, and I'm still struggling with it. And... Um, You know, I've talked with surgeons and other cancer center staff who have treated what we call head and neck cancer, mouth and throat cancer. They all say the same thing. Never saw a a man that dips or chews with mouth cancer, unless he also smoked and drank. And so it's, it's, it's absolutely true that these uh, dip and chew products were completely uh, misunderstood and still are. And that's where vapor's going if we don't uh, resist it and we don't correct these horrendous um, lies that are being uh, promulgated about these products. One more question
1: on that. We, we I'm, I'm always arguing with people about uh, smokeless tobacco, even our own members, they don't understand, and they will always throw out, even people on on Twitter or social media, doctors, researchers, uh, anti-tobacco people, they, we have all this research showing that smokeless tobacco, chew, causes cancer, we even have the, what is that, there was just a chew thing that was, drop the chew, or stop the chew, or quit the chew week, or whatever it was, yeah, um, yeah. And they talk about all these studies, but is it really just this one study that they're all relying on? or Are there any studies that came out that actually tried to prove the same thing? And, but they, or were they like vaping studies where they're like, the conclusions don't quite match the, the data that they actually came up with? Or
3: Well, Wynn started it in 1981, but there are a number of other studies that are entirely consistent with Wynn's results there have been epidemiologic studies in men and women. In fact, a recent study, and I blogged about it, the uh, lead author this time is Wyss, W-Y-S-S. And I blogged about this. They found, this large, large study found, that women had this very high risk, it was up around eight or nine relative risk for mouth cancer from smokeless tobacco. Okay. Men had no risk at all. And so it, again, is very consistent. It, all of these studies are perfectly consistent, but you've never heard this story because uh, they're committed against all tobacco products. So- uh, they
1: took those same results and instead of saying, hey, regular chew doesn't, cause any of these things we've been claiming or we think it causes. It actually does cause it because of these small, the small, tiny group of women who are getting it from something that barely anybody uses.
3: Well, here's what the, this last study did. They took men and women and combined them for their main results. You get a relative risk of nine, a relative risk of one, you get something in the middle and they said, Oh my God, this is bad. Okay. In their other tables, however, you can break them down. And when you break them down, women had a higher risk and men had no risk. So, I, you know, but again, you can't convince anyone of this, um, of this uh, alternative story when they know they believe that uh, these products kill.
1: And it's almost like nitpicking. And I, and we've, we've often said that, that, this whole thing that they're doing with vaping is not new. I mean, that they're, That's right. it, that they've learned, they, they basically cut their teeth on smokeless tobacco.
3: Yes. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> uh, Logan, did you want to?
0: Yeah. I was just going to ask, you know, back when that study had, had come out, you know, before you got into to, to research and, and whatnot, was there, was there any resistance from the scientific field at large, um, you know, pushing back against that initially, or was it just, you know, kind of automatically accepted as truth and, and that was it. That was it. Yeah.
3: It was automatically accepted by everyone. And there was, there was virtually no pushback at all professionally or from the media. Um, you know, it's interesting that powder dry snuff risk. It's real interesting because when has a, 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 a um, some text in her study where she says this risk that she found translates into 26 cases of mouth cancer per 100,000 users. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of her bottom line. Well, think about that. Let's apply a 50% mortality risk to that. Okay. This is powder dry snuff, the most dangerous form of smokeless tobacco. Let's apply 50%. That makes it 13 per 100,000 people are going to die from mouth cancer caused by this powder dry stuff, okay? You know what the rate of automobile deaths is in this country?
0: Sure, yeah.
3: Somewhere around 10 to 12 per 100,000 users of automobiles. Nobody ever puts it into that perspective when they talk about these risks. And, and and look, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to explain the powder dry snuff risk away. Nobody uses that product, and as far as I'm concerned, nobody should. Uh, but but it 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 has been completely blown into. Uh, ridiculous proportions myth it's literally a myth
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our, 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 and
3: our- and let me uh, sorry to interrupt one one more time and the average age and these are uh national cancer institute studies the average age of a woman who gets a mouth cancer from powder dry snuff is 78. wow that's the age she gets it and guess what the average age of uh of women are in this country, it's somewhere around seventy-eight to eighty. So, are they losing a lot of life expectancy? No. And again, I'm not trying to dismiss it, but it's and that was after somewhere around fifty-five ye- on years of use on average. So- but
1: save the children. Save the children. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Exactly. We do have a question, too. Another thing that got me into this was around 1993 or so, 92 or 93, there was a surgeon general who decided that this was, and it was a lady. um, I don't remember her name, but again, it's in my blog. She said she was going to come out. And she was good, That was going to be her thing. Stop smokeless tobacco use because if we don't, there would be an epidemic of mouth cancer coming up in ten to twenty years. And that's what got me going because here's somebody predicting an epidemic, and I'm supposed to be an expert with these with these issues, and I need to find out more. Well, I found out a lot more.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: So, so again, again, just
1: real quick back on the dry snuff and we'll move on from that. But Danielle just had a question. Was the risk higher for women using non-powdered dry snuff as well?
3: I think yeah, we right. can't, we can't study it because uh, hardly any women dip or chew. So, you know, in order to study epidemiology, in order to conduct an epidemiology study, you need a big, big population and you need to collect lots of information over time on these folks. And that's what the American Cancer Society has done well. That's what the national federal surveys do. And it's really difficult to, to when when the uh, when the behavior is so rare, it's hard to study those people and have mm-hmm. any results, that are reasonable and valid because they're subject to so much uh, variation. So, and women who use dip and chew, it's just too, too few to study
0: really. Yeah.
1: It's sort of like looking at what's the rate of death of people who jump from airplanes while riding a bicycle with a cat. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, (laughs) if you don't have very many people doing it and Two people die from it because only two people did it. You're going to have a high death rate. Oh, my God. Listen,
0: I'm genuinely curious now. So any researchers out there looking for, you know, a grant, there's there's an idea <laughs> proposal right there. Uh, I have a question for you, though, um, in regards to kind of vaping and uh, oral tobacco use in, in general. You know, I use uh, I use snooze from time to time as well as vape. And, uh, and I also use nicotine pouches as well, given my job, I'm in different locations and sometimes it's just, I, you know, I can't break away or I'm on a property where there's no vaping. Um, so I'll use Snus or I'll use a nicotine pouch in regards to risk. Is there any real significant increased risk in using both of those products at the same time?
3: Well, that takes us to what has been termed the continuum of risk, right? You guys have all, all seen those charts. And I have a little bit of a different take on that continuum of risk, because anything burning tobacco and inhaling smoke is at one end, and everybody's seen that bar. But then it's not really a continuum. It's everything else that's smoke-free. If it's smoke-free, it's all down at the other end. And people ask me all the time, well, is snooze better than American dip? Is snooze better than chew? Is snooze better than vapor? The, the, it, there may be some very, very minuscule differences. But overall, <laughs> they're, they're, it's, it's very difficult to actually parse them because we just, again, don't have big populations using these products. And I don't think it's that important to parse them, because they're they're all the way down, close to zero, when you compare them to smoking, and so I really don't think that focusing on these very tiny differences are really that are really that important and that productive to be honest.
0: Yeah, right. so, yeah even, even using them in conjunction with each other. Um, there's no significant uh, increase in risk anywhere.
3: Absolutely not. I, I think, in Ooh. fact, if you switch products around, you're better off. It's just like we always used to tell people that use smokeless tobacco. You get, you get a little sore. You get a little white area, you know, a care, what we call keratosis, which is not a precancerous lesion, by the way, in smokeless users. Just move it around a little bit. And and it'll disappear within a week or two, it, you, that'll go away. So you know it's it's all about it's all about uh, using different products is not an issue.
1: I mean, I used yeah. to get that little thing from when I was uh, nicotine gum or mm-hmm. a lozenge because you do the same thing with it. You kind of. Chew a little chew bit heart. and then you sort of plug it in your, in your cheek, just like they do with snooze or whatever. And if I left it in the wrong place, you could start to feel it sort of burn a little bit and maybe might get a little. So this idea that the tobacco is so different, it's, it's kind of silly.
2: I, I think I've, I've uh, I, I know that you, uh, Dr. Radu, spoke, spoke at the, I was, we were both there at the, the Snooze Con in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And um, I've stolen a little bit from, from your explanation there with regard to continuum of risk. And, and, and again, it, 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 we are splitting hairs. But I think one of the things that you mentioned was, uh, you know, if there is any kind of scale or smokeless tobacco that's potentially more harmful, it would be um, uh, other than the nasal snuff. Uh, but uh, a chew, simply because of the sugar used in the flavoring and curing process, I think, um, that, you know, that's something that's going to uh, affect your, your your dental, your oral health. Um, but that's, that's really kind of it.
3: Yeah, chew is cased in sugar. That's right. There's no doubt about that. It's also used in bigger volumes. Mm. And it also stimulates a lot more saliva. And saliva is protective of the teeth. And so some people who used to, if they're not brushing like they should, yeah, they might get some cavities or some gum issues, but uh, it's not automatic. I think it's a matter of taking care of your mouth regardless of what you do. And of course, we go back to smoking again. Nothing is worse for the gums and the bone that hold the teeth together Mm -hmm. than smoking. Because that's a systemic exposure of all kinds of toxicants. And you can't compare that to anything else. I just spoke to a a dentist that I know very well. He's a very, uh, he's an exceptional practitioner up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I asked him, seen any side effects of vaping? He said, nothing like smoking. Nothing like smoking. And he's very comfortable with uh, the dental uh, condition of vapors.
1: Yeah, you see, dental associations and stuff sharing these studies that have come out supposedly how it affects your mouth and the bacteria in your mouth and all this stuff. I mean, my gums never got better since I quit smoking and switched to vaping. Yeah. They, 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 very much got better. So I, I didn't experience that. So I don't know. I mean, the studies were very flawed, but then you just see all these dental associations, just kind of the dentists see it and a lot of them believe it, but, but maybe like your friend that they, they don't, they see the study, but it's not clicking. It's not matching up with what they're actually seeing in practice. I don't know, possibly.
0: Do you think that, um, since the majority of people who, who do vape or who have switched uh, were previously smoking do you do you think a lot of dentists look at you know those kind of residual harms that carry over or damage that's been done by smoking and now we have you know they have a patient who's currently vaping and and it's easy to maybe just attribute those to vaping is that a a common thing that happens do you do you see that a lot
3: oh of course I mean this is one of the main problems in studying anything with vaping is that the vast majority of them used to smoke or are still smoking. And so it's very hard to to discern the specific effects from vaping, separating them from smoking. And I think, you know, I think a lot of the researchers, to be honest, don't care about distinguishing when they can blame vaping for almost anything uh, indiscriminately and... Uh, you know, I think that, that that all feeds in to this sort of uh, this nonsense about trashing all nicotine and tobacco products.
1: It's-, it's frustrating, too, because it seems like they completely ignore a lot of the a lot of the anti-tobacco groups will come out and say, you know, we have to protect these people, It's you know, poor people and minorities. And they're they're the most frequently the victim and um, then blame everything on vaping or, or smokeless tobacco or whatever. And seem to completely ignore all the other behaviors that people in those same groups do. You know, like my husband, I mean, he uses snooze, but, and he, and he vapes, but he used to smoke and he used to drink Mountain Dew. Like, I can't even tell you so much. And so his teeth were really messed up and I could just easily see them you know, he comes from a minority area and, and not high income when, when he was growing up. And so that was what he grew up with. And I can it, it just I could just see going to the dentist and just saying, well, it's because you're using your vape or it's because you're using snooze, not because he drank all that soda when yeah. he was in his teens and 20s or that his diet was not the greatest or that he smoked, you know, and that's that's so frustrating. <laughs>
0: Uh, I got I have a question here for you, Um, you know, seeing successful transitions away from smoking to snus in countries like Sweden. What are I guess some of the biggest barriers to having that kind of success here? Like, what would we need to do here in this country to, you know, uh, move towards that kind of success?
3: Well, let, let me give you a little background on snus in Sweden. So um, you know, everybody thinks that snus has, uh, over the past 20 years or so, all of a sudden replaced smoking in Sweden, and that's really not the case. When I first started doing this research back in the mid 1990s, you know, for for us, for myself and the epidemiologist that was that I was. Uh, uh, he was my colleague, for us, lung cancer mortality was the sentinel disease of smoking. You could tell what any society, how, they, how much they smoke by how much they die from lung cancer. And so I was looking at those mortality uh, effects throughout the world in various countries, and I came across Sweden. I couldn't believe it. And this data went back to the 1950s. Sweden was distinct. It was the only country in Europe where the the lung cancer rate was very, very low. And it was only in men. It wasn't in women. Women always had lung cancer rates much more similar to other countries in Europe. And so I said, I got to get over there. I have to get over to Sweden and figure out what's going on. And, I, of course, I knew they used smokeless tobacco. Some of that had come over here. That's the basis of our dip products. And so I had, through contact, I was able to meet Carl Fagerstrom. Mm-hmm. And he's the, the world-famous n- uh, nicotine uh, psycho- psychologist, uh, nicotine expert. And um, he put me with one of Sweden's most eminent physicians. And so in 2002, I went over to Sweden and did a six-month sabbatical conducting research on a WHO data set in northern Sweden that looked at smoke. And, and we were able to look at smoking and snooze rates among men there. And, uh, you know, by that time, 2002, I had developed my work here in the U.S. And when I went to Sweden, I got some guest lectures at various universities. And I said, you know, I said, you know, and and I was able to discover that they had very low smoking rates among men. But their snooze rates in northern Sweden were up around 25, 30 percent, Nobody knew that. The physician I was working with, when I went into his office with my first results, he, Swedes are really, really cordial and very generous. He looked at him and he said, Brad, do you think we could have the biostatistician check this? <laughs> he, thought I had, he thought I had completely uh, missed misanalyze something. And uh, I said, of course, I'm not going to be wrong. Well, it was was identical. And I would go to lectures. Snus was such a part of the social environment of Sweden, of its history, that they never even thought about how it had replaced smoking. And Mm. when I And so a lot of what I was telling them, I'm not saying it was brand new, but it was really remarkable how they hadn't thought of it in those terms. Hmm. And then I brought that work back and it was got more and more exposure. And then we had more and more people here and elsewhere pick up on those themes and, uh, and I, I'm very, I'm very proud to have kind of been the first person uh, to have kind of exposed the world to what I called the Swedish experience, and it was, it was a lot of fun, and I still hold those memories. It's been 20 years since I was over there, wow. and uh, we published a series of papers about snooze, diabetes, obesity. Um, uh, how snus's impact on smoking? We published several other studies of that, uh, and brought it up to date in two thousand nine and later. It, it's been a, a lot of fun, and so so anyway. Did I answer your question, or or what do we need to do here?
0: Yeah, yeah. What I mean, what can we do in this country really to to see that kind of success, the kind of success that just had you gleaming? Over, over how, you know, um, how they moved away from smoking and, and didn't even realize it. Like, w- what can we do here to emulate that?
1: Especially, I'm going to add that, especially with the fact that people here seem to say the Swedish experiences you put it, are somehow different because Swedes are apparently from Mars or something.
3: I'm not yeah. sure. So
1: yeah. That no, I've <laughs> no,
0: heard different gums, different teeth, you know, that's. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that was the first thing we heard was, "Oh, that's Sweden. That can't happen in the U.S." And of course, the Swedes, to their that to their credit, they tried to distinguish snus from Americans' moist snuff. But and there are differences. Sweden Swedish snus is a somewhat cleaner product, fewer t- fewer toxins, but the Americans have also in the past 20 or 20, 30 years brought the toxin levels down to where they're competing with swedish news and so and even then when they were higher they weren't causing mouth cancer as i explained earlier right
0: so, so again, you're making an already safer product even safer
3: yeah exactly sure. exactly and you know one of the things i think and we're all in this together but one of the things we have to do is not let these smoke-free products disappear or not let them be regulated out of existence. And that's why I am really critical of a lot of the research that's coming out now especially about vapor because I was critical of the I was critical of the smokeless tobacco research but years later and all of us now are not letting that happen, where a long time, uh, it, it was a long time after those studies where we finally came to the realization that those studies were faulted. Now we know a lot faster, and uh, we just have to let not let these studies become part of the regulatory um agenda that uh, we have to make sure that the FDA knows that there are a, there is another side to a lot of the findings that these studies are making. And that's what I've been trying to do in my blog is present other features and other uh, things about these studies that people need to consider.
1: And snus was they did get an authorization in the US. Do you think that's going to help with more people accepting it as from the FDA as as being um, reduced? What exactly did they get Alex? Did they get reduced? Well, they're
2: the the, uh, general snus uh, from Swedish match. uh, It's like eight different uh, types. They're the first product to receive marketing orders through the PMTA process. Uh, And also yeah, I think they're the first to receive modified risk. Yes.
3: The question is, and I don't know the answer, to be honest, have they actually uh, rolled out the MRTP information? I've never seen it. Now, you guys may buy snooze and may have seen it, but I haven't. I think Swedish Match has been very slow at actually doing anything with the MRTP.
2: And it's a very narrow authorization. All of of these are very narrow. I think probably with the exception of twenty-second century. Um, Got it all over that. uh, Yeah, Swedish Match's proposal was um, very strictly limited to existing Swedish Match customers, um, which I uh, imagine is really hinging on. They're they're relying on word of mouth, I think, to get that out. But yeah, we're not going to see social media ads or even a poster. You're not going to see a sign in front of a a convenience store saying this can help you quit smoking.
3: So so we have an MRTP, but it's nowhere. Yeah, I I just don't understand that. I, I, I just don't understand. It would have been interesting had Icos not been removed from the market because of the patent issue. They got an MRTP and they, I think, were going to do something with it. Uh, because it's compared with cigarettes, and uh, that would have been much more interesting. And I'm really saddened to see the the Eicos uh, get involved in that patent dispute. Yeah, like to- I, I think. I mean, there's
2: some hope that that you know, if manufacturing moves yeah. to the United States, then they'll be able yeah. to get around that. I'm also kind of that- curious to see. Uh, this is something that Kassov, you know, criticized Altria for um, during the TIPSAC hearing. Was that, you know part of their Uh, protocol is, uh, ensuring that people are, who are buying icos are already smoking. Um, and, and of course, I, I, I understand that, you know, sort of the boilerplate disclaimer for all of us is if you don't smoke, don't start, or if you don't use nicotine, don't start. But, um, of course, I, I think it's, it's, it's past time to acknowledge that people use drugs for reasons and plenty of people are going to initiate nicotine use. Uh, and if they can do that with a less harmful product, that that's fair. I, I think that that should be acknowledged. Um, but but really curious to see how their that whole sales process. I think according to to PMI and Altria, it takes like 45 minutes to sell someone a setup, and then there's a lot of follow up and so on. So it it would have been would have been interesting to see how that plays out in America. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait
1: did wasn't that you, Dr. Radu, who said that you were trying to get into one of the stores on the spaces?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I. I was at a pathology meeting in Vancouver, and I, my wife and I, walked over to the store. They would not let me in, and I gave him my card. I gave him my credentials. I, I just wanted to talk with the staff. And. Mm-hmm. I, I finally got in the door, but they wouldn't talk with me and offered me a cup of coffee, and, and I had to leave. I mean, that, that means fine, just not nicotine. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, they are very, very serious about that. And what's interesting, we we talked about the National Youth Tobacco Survey study. Uh, you know, I, I have a blog post about that. That. It claimed that there were several hundred thousand iCos users. Teens.
1: Teen, <laughs> teen iCOS, how in the right? Well,
3: those kids got into those iCos stores. I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> I remember you saying that on the yeah, that's that's crazy. That I mean it just makes you really question how they're calculating their their numbers for what teens are using. You know, is it really two million teens are using? Uh, vapor products in the past thirty days, or are they messing up their <laughs> numbers? Well, the same way? that
3: brings that brings up a good point, Kristen. And if you wouldn't mind sharing my screen, you know, gotcha. uh, the the federal government only takes their their uh, youth numbers out of the NYTS, which is on the on the column at the left there, and this was twenty eighteen. Well, there are other federal surveys. One is called the Knowledge Panel. And you can see that the 2018 estimate coming out of the knowledge panel was 1.2 million or 0.95 million. And that's a lot that's a lot lighter of an epidemic than than what uh, the CDC is claiming. Now, the other thing about this is the look at the bottom of the 1.2 million uh, column. The lead author was Valone, okay? She happens to work at the Truth Initiative.
1: Mm. Oh, okay. (laughs) So
3: so this isn't, you know, this isn't uh, an estimate to be taken lightly. And I think there needs to be more discussion and more debate about how good the nyts data actually is right
0: have you have you seen uh the the actual surveys themselves for these and if you have do they differ in in ways that would you know make these numbers make more sense are they are they conducted like extremely differently that would lead to to such a difference or is it just
3: well, the NYTS is public use data. The knowledge panel is special, and it's uh, the federal researchers seem to have easy access to it. and you can also, if you're truth initiative, you can also purchase it in some way. I don't I have never been able to get access to that data. Hmm. Um, I don't I don't know. What the what the structure of that data is, uh, McEgginy did, and he is a researcher, I believe, in the UK, and uh, they they also were able to purchase that data. So so um, it it definitely is available, um, and I think we need. And there's also the path data, which we have also. Uh, have access to. And the PATH data is also much lower than NYTS. And I don't know if I have that data or not. I may not have that data in this in this presentation, but um, it's also a, a good, solid data set. It's the FDA's own data. And uh, it also shows lower estimates. Yeah,
1: it always does seem, it always seems to be lower with that. I think that Danielle's always frustrated with that when she's doing charts. <laughs> yeah. Do you think the re- Do you
0: do you think the reason why the NYTS data is, uh, you know, kind of used so so broadly? I guess is just because it's publicly available. As far as uh, you know, media outlets and everybody else is concerned with using those numbers.
3: No, I think that I think it's because the CDC. That's what they use. They put these media reports out, Mm -hmm. and all the media reports that I see on it, with the exception of a couple, are just repeats of the CDC press releases. So all of the duplication, it's all duplicated press reporting of the same numbers from the CDC. And as you guys probably know, the CDC reports smoking and it reports vaping. It never even combines the two. Because we know that a lot of the of the high school uh, students who vape also smoke and they deserve the American public deserves the right information about these studies. Wait, Uh,
1: So just to clarify. So what you're saying is they basically don't show who's dual using, like how many of those vapors are actually smoking as well. Is that what you're saying?
3: Absolutely. Okay. absolutely not. Let me show you. This is how I present this data every time. Smokers are at the bottom. They're in the dark blue, okay? These are high school students, past 30 days smoking and vaping, as always. Smokers are in the dark blue. The, the, the middle blue are the smokers and vapors, the dual users. And then the gray at the top are vapors. And um, you can see that even with the vaping's increase to 2017, 18, 19, look at what smoking always did. Mm. And that's if you do the dark blue or the dark and medium blue. Smoking is almost always going down. And when you show things like this and you explain what's going on, it makes a lot more it, it, well, it still doesn't. It still doesn't excuse high school vaping. None of us want that, but it does put it in perspective, and I think that's really important.
0: Sure. And that that twenty thirteen to twenty fourteen drop is substantial. <laughs> first, first of all, I mean that's it's incredible nine point seven all the way down to four. Um, but it just it, that era is is really interesting because you know I was still. Sp- 2013, 2014. I hadn't switched until 2017, um, but I, I I know so many people in this community who are very, um, I guess, nostalgic about that era. You know, being like this golden era of vaping. Uh, you know, innovation was happening very yep. rapidly. A lot of people were adopting the products. Um, yes. So you know, it, it kind of makes sense to me that you know, while the adult population was adopting these products so rapidly. The youth population may have been as well, and that smoking number dropping and that vaping number increasing is really a, a just kind of a reflection of that that time frame that that era, I guess. In in this with this, well, even
1: more even more notable is that drop between twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen because Juul hit the market in twenty fifteen. <laughs> a lot of people don't look at that because they talk about how Juul caused all that. It took almost two years before it jumped back up again and what all was happening in 2018 was Scott Gottlieb and, and Jerome and all those other people were freaking out and putting all these commercials on about, hey, all these kids are vaping and here's what they're vaping and they're vaping in the bathroom and their parents can't see it. And it comes in these great kid-friendly flavors. And, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it shot up. Do you, what do you think of that theory? That's one of my theories, doctor.
3: Well, I, I think it's you know difficult to look at individual years. It's better to look at trends one thing you can see are changes in the NYTS survey over the years. Logan mentioned the 13 right. to 14. Well, in 2014 was the first time that they broke e-cigarettes out to their own section, their own set of questions. Right. Before they were buried in with some others. Now it's chicken or the it's chicken or egg here as far as whether or not one causes the other. But clearly the CDC has given e-cigarettes more and more prominence as the survey years uh, have, have, you know, go toward 2020, 2021. Uh, Not only are they, I think one of the more recent years, e-cigarettes became first. Cigarettes used to always be first. Now e-cigarettes are so you know how does this impact the way kids answer the surveys well that's a good question and it's something that we don't seem to have any research from the cdc or the survey administrators on we should we should know what the impact of these changes in the survey have been on these children
1: because you hear about people like we had uh, michelle mitten was on the other day and um, she was talking about. I think it was her who was talking about when Dare, when she was a kid, and she never knew anything about any of these drugs until Dare told her all about all this PCP and yep. showed her what it looked like and stuff. And it almost seemed like a repeat of that of what Truth was doing, and the and the CDC and the FDA seemed to be just doing a repeat of that. But really quick, because of you, you mentioned um, e-cigarettes going past or vaping going past smoking and then it seemed like all of a sudden the reports that came out didn't even bother telling us about what was going on with smoking it seemed we just got these reports from CDC their uh, mwr whatever that one is yeah. <laughs> um, saying oh what's here's what's going on with vaping and they don't tell us about smoking until 6 months later it seems like
3: yep exactly
1: and how do you, what do you what do you do with that then
3: well you know they put out their reports and then six to eight to 10 months later, the data comes out. So the rest of us can now start to look. And, you know, it, it's not that the CDC is putting out wrong information, but they're putting out very, very selective information. Right. It's what they want in order to support the narrative. And everybody here knows what the narrative is. And it's only after we get access to the data, can we start examining uh, the different perspectives and bring additional information, Um, you know, like marijuana use, uh, like other tobacco use. NYTS uh, collects information on a lot of different things and uh, a lot of different things that impact vaping and that we just don't get access to because the CDC doesn't think it's important.
2: I'm sort of curious to jump in here. You know, uh, and I've never read through the questions that are asked on NYTS or PATH. Uh, I get that, I, I get those snippets from, from Danielle and Kristen, you know, pouring over those things. Um, but do they ever ask like why kids don't smoke, don't vape? What, is there any kind of analysis into, I mean, I know we get the sort of, uh, FDA, you know, put out some research on the real cost campaign, preventing an estimated 800,000 kids from picking up, uh, tobacco products, but, uh, are, are they ever analyzing kids, perhaps positive responses to these campaigns to do that kind of analysis and see what's working, why kids are resisting tobacco and nicotine.
3: They have asked about the real cost campaigns, if I'm not mistaken. I've not looked at those particular uh, questions. Uh, You know, I don't know whether you saw my blog about a week or two ago, Alex, but I talked about they ask um, kids why they vaped. Hmm. And they list a whole bunch of different answers and kids can pick or choose multiple one or multiple answers. And I uh, looked at, I think it was four or five of the most recent years. And do you have that up? Uh, did you? Yep. Yep. Okay. I, I'm still on share screen. Um, you might want to take that down Logan. and
0: Oh, I think Alex is sharing uh, your, your actual blog post right now.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you uh, look up, yeah. you can see it.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah.
1: Maybe if you minimize your other screen. I will.
3: I'll do that. Okay. Okay. Yes, exactly. I looked at the four years where it peaked. It peaked in 2019. And I looked at all of the answers. Uh, And uh, this is the percentage of high school vapors reporting each and every one of the answers. And of course, they're gonna, not going to add up to 100 because they could pick more than one choice.
1: Which also confuses things. They should rank those.
3: <laughs> it does, but it, you can see the trends here. Right. Friends. Friends was a big and consistent reason they vape. And that, everybody knows that. And that's why it blows my mind that we that we're only blaming manufacturers here. You know, when friends is the dominant reason. Yeah, they were curious. Um,
2: yeah, it's interesting to see curiosity kind of fall off the cliff here 2021. Well, I guess that's right. Well,
3: any, anytime, you <laughs> see, anytime you see the dashed lines, they didn't ask the question that year. They've added questions on. And of course, curious is a, a big deal. Anxious, depressed seems to be a big deal in 2021, as well as the buzz. Uh, But, uh, you know, what what isn't a big deal? Look at some of the ones that are single digits, because those you would have thought would have been more important if they're easier to get. No, they're not easier to get, or at least that's not a good reason. Sure. Yeah. They're not looking at role models. Um. You know,
1: ironically, because now they're going after Netflix. Did you see that those senators are going after Netflix? Stop doing smoking and vaping on shows. Your your data shows right here Netflix has done nothing to do with kids doing it.
3: Well, look at less harmful. Look, we we were talking before about how there's there's all this misperception. It's gone from 25% down to 10. And look at flavors. Flavors also dropped off the map.
0: That's yeah. what I wanted to highlight was was the flavors. I mean, we're Absolutely. we're you know we're still in the trenches with flavor bands yes. and flavors being the predominant reason. You know, uh, truth campaign um, talking about flavors hooking kits. Flavors are the most evil component to vaping, yep. and and you yes. know unicorn poop and cotton candy is going to hook an entire generation on nicotine. The only
1: reason exists, yeah. but
0: right here. Over just the course of four years, the, you know, the reasons have, has gone down from 36 to 13. So, exactly. you know, it, it, it's kind of baffling when you look at the data and then you go, you know, I just saw a truth commercial yesterday talking about mm-hmm. flavors and how they were the most evil thing to exist. But that's not what the data says.
1: Again, look at 2018 was when they were coming out saying, hey, kids, you've got all these flavors, your friends are vaping. I, I'm still convinced that that has the dare effect on that. I really do.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um... it, it, since, I, you know, these, these last two lines here, you know, using for anxiety, stress and depression, and then also, you know, the nicotine buzz. I imagine, I, you know, just having been a child of parents who watched their child go through substance use, um, you know, I know a, a lot of parents are probably reluctant to, um, I mean, it's just horrifying to imagine your kids getting mixed up in drugs, um, but I, 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 you know, we don't, we don't hear people talking about young people using drugs for reasons, of course, tying this back to, you know, anxiety, stress, and depression. Um, I'm curious if you uh, have a take on the truth initiatives, campaign uh, that they're now waging at, at the White House to get vaping uh, uh, declared to be a, a, a youth mental health issue.
1: And depression sticks.
2: I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just sort of imagine <laughs> that you probably.
3: I haven't examined the campaign in detail I just have a problem, Alex, with any form of tobacco use being medicalized and being um, so that that we've created a disease out of what I think is a behavior. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that trend for anything and especially for vaping. Uh, I think it's just another way to run vaping into the ground and uh, I'm not, I'm not very comfortable with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: You and us both.
0: (laughs) I understand. I mean, we definitely know, you know, that people with, uh, people who suffer from, uh, you know, um, depression and, and, and things like that anxiety, you know, tend to smoke at disproportionately higher rates. Um, is this, uh, i I guess i don't know how to frame this question like a chicken or the egg kind of thing is your take that you know people's nicotine use people who who do have um you know mental illnesses like this that it's uh it's a self-treatment as opposed to you know um like the the cause is you know nicotine is causing this depression because that's kind of the basis of of that campaign you know that that these products are just depression sticks and the more you vape you're going to, to get depression you're going to be you know clinically you know you're going to have anxiety you're going to you know a, a life of all these these issues by using nicotine or is this is this people you know the the chicken coming first or whatever here you know self medicating
3: i think it's very complicated and i'm not a psychologist i can't address this question with a lot of expertise my colleague and I, my research colleague and I, re, uh, a few years ago, tried to set up a study whereby we could parse the difference between uh, for smoking uh, to as to whether smoking was a treatment for an existing mental health problem or was caused causing in some way within the causal pathway of a mental health problem. And we found evidence for the latter, believe it or not. But I still feel very strongly that some people smoke in order to manage their, the, their daily lives, even though there may be some, um, some uh, influence the other way. I really believe, I, you know, I grew up in um, a, a small town in in a, in uh, northeast Ohio. And I found out years after it was in Appalachia. I didn't know that at the time, but I knew the town, you know, it was not a it was not a wealthy town. And I knew that people needed something to help them through each and every day. And a lot of folks smoked and it helped. And, um, that's another reason, I guess, that I'm very, I'm very, uh, sympathetic to smokers and I don't want to require them to achieve abstinence in order to live healthier lives, it's not necessary. And there's no reason to make them do that. And, you know, I- It might be one
1: case where healthier is not necessarily happier. (laughs) Well, I'll
3: I'll give you you an example. Um, You know, when I was growing up, I wasn't thinking about tobacco, but my great grandfather lived to be 99. And chewed almost up until he passed away from old age. And my grandfather, um, he died at 65 of a heart disease and and a stroke clearly related to his heavy smoking. Mm -hmm. And I remember my grandfather telling my, sorry, my great-grandfather telling my grandfather worthy you gotta quit smoking those coffin nails and this was back i was growing up in the 60s this was back before the surgeon general's report hit people knew people knew that smoking wasn't good for them but my grandfather couldn't quit whereas my great grandfather lived a full life chewing tobacco Maybe that's one of the reasons I caught on uh, back in the '90s. I don't know, but uh, mm-hmm. but no. Expecting people, you know, they they the tobacco control people want to claim that nicotine is irreversibly addictive until they set up reasons why people should be quitting. Then they say it's it's a super easy. Of- just quit. Yeah. yeah. Just quit. You can't have it both ways. Sure. And, you know, they're claiming these kids are irreversibly addicted. They're slaves for life from these uh, e cigarettes. But then they tell adults, you just need to drop them.
1: I just and- I told the story uh, last week, but in, in Massachusetts, they're pushing a flavor ban. And the regional director or marketing director for Maine, Hope, Flavors Hook Kids Maine. Was in a, in an article and he said something to the effect of, you know, we have to stop kids from this horrible lifelong addiction and a whole new generation and all that, you know. And I feel for smokers, but they should just quit. It's like do you realize what you just said. Yeah,
3: exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so frustrating.
3: Exactly. Do you guys mind
1: if I if I read this question?
3: Go for, no, it. Go for it.
1: Okay, because uh, Kurt, I was actually I wanted to ask this earlier, and so I figured <laughs> this is my end. Uh, he said, "Has there been a, a longitudinal?" Can never say this word. Longitudinal study on the cohort of teen vapors from 2018 to demonstrate the gateway effect after leaving the school system. And I, what I was going to ask was something along those same lines: of when do you think we're going to be able to look at that? Because because of that whole you there, you know, flavors, lifetime of addiction. This is what vaping's doing. When do you think? I mean, because we're starting to see the kids who were in school in 2015, 16, 17, 18 are now young adults and we see those rates drop a lot although it's hard to get a, a you know a hold of those adult rates but are you interested in all in studying that post school group from this height of the vaping epidemic
3: <laughs> that information is available in the FDA PATH study right they've had both youth and adult groups and they transition youth uh, when they become adults they transition them into the adult um, data set. Right. And so, yes, it will be, uh, it, we will be able to study that, uh, right now, I think they're up to 2018 or so. Yeah. They, they they, they, their years come out, you know, with some delay. Right. So it'll be a little bit of time before we can take it up to 2020 or 2021. Uh, but yes, we should be able to get, some longitudinal information on uh kid vape kids who vape absolutely so which year because i
1: know i've asked about that and they've said well we haven't had them they haven't moved we haven't had the younger kids move enough because they group so many different things together so that so what year do you think it'll be before we can actually start using that when will those people from 20 i guess maybe what would the height be 2018 when would those youngest kids, the freshmen, be in that path study for us to start looking? That, at, they may
3: be in there in 2018, but we need time to age them uh, through high school and into young adulthood. That,
1: that's my question. I'm not being. Well, clear. I'm, I'm sorry. This is my fault. What I'm saying is the kids who are in school, who were freshmen in high school, because we can't just look at the 2018 numbers now in the right. in the um, young adult ones because it's it, that's only including the seniors or the seniors and juniors. So when, what year do you think that'll be, oh, 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22? Well, this year, freshmen from 2018, this year right. will be turning 18. So will it be like another year right. or so before we get the passing no. for them?
3: No, it'll be longer oh, than no. that. Oh, okay. That past data is delayed by a year or two. Because okay. they have to, they have to uh, do a lot of work on that data set. So it, it's going to be a little while. So
1: maybe 2024, we might be able to look back and say, okay, all these kids at the height of the vaping epidemic, here's what they're doing today. Are they actually still addicted? Like you guys claim they were going to be, I mean. Um,
3: you ha- you'll have to be patient. <laughs>
1: nah, I'm not though. I know. <laughs> Danielle's not either. She's with me. I know she's going, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it took us decades to disprove, uh, you know, the, the, the myth of the, the crack babies, uh, which is just a horrible term to begin with. Um, you know, all these claims that, um, you know, mothers who were, uh, using crack while pregnant, uh, all of these kids, this entire generation of youth was going to be disformed and suffer all these great illnesses. And now that we've seen, you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever years later, that that just wasn't true. I'm just hopeful that it doesn't take us that same amount of time to look back at you know youth numbers from these past few years and say, oh yeah, none of that was true, because 40 years is just way too long <laughs> to wait for those kind of uh, those kind of answers.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of curious, you know, I, I, over the past couple of years, I, I know, you know Mitch Zeller is not gonna be director of Center for Tobacco Products, but you know, Zeller and Gottlieb both, I, I think kind of made the rounds at conferences, um, 2017, 2018, uh, and these were places where they sort of publicly disclosed that um, they were, even they were shocked at the number of clinicians who thought that nicotine causes cancer uh, and, of course, this being a barrier to even recommending NRT, um, and, and, of course, you know, the gateway thing, I, I think, is, is a part of this uh, misunderstanding of, of, of nicotine. So is there any confidence that, that FDA is going to do and release some of this? Uh, I mean, we're, we're all expecting the data to, to show that there is no gateway. We, we, we already know in the data that there isn't a gateway. Um, but is is there any confidence that FDA is going to follow through with this and actually fund or produce, uh, materials that, that, that set the record straight?
3: No, I don't have any confidence. The FDA is going to do anything to set the record straight. None at all. Never. Mm, Yeah,
2: that's, that's that's disappointing. (laughs) I know
1: this is veering off, but. I don't know if you can answer quickly, but what do you think of very low nicotine cigarettes that were just uh, put on the market?
3: Yeah, this was a concept that was being floated back in the early 1990s. And I criticized it in my book in 95. I said that this is, you know, removing what people are seeking and leaving what is killing them. And I, I just don't understand it. I don't uh have and you know if they want to market them, um, I'm I'm all for them allow uh, being allowed to be on the market, but I don't believe they present any risk differential at all. And I mean, there is just simply nothing about them that is. Uh, I just don't think they'll make any commercial success at all. And they'll, uh, I, I, I find it completely maddening.
1: I don't think, I don't think they're going to sell in this current market, but they might because of all this mist. I mean, if doctors are even believing that it's the nicotine that causes the cancer, they might tell people to use these instead, which is what scares us a lot. Um, But if the FDA follows through and does tell all cigarette companies that they have to go to minimum nicotine to this, whatever, 0.5 or 0.8 or 0.08, or whatever it is, it's minimum. Um, then they're forcing people who smoke and they might think that they're they're actually safer because the nicotine, which is just so horrible and so evil and so bad for you, that these don't have them and you're already seeing that. And I guess my question is is did you look i've tried to read some of their studies because they troll on me, social media all the time and say well this is good because this will you know get people to go over to vaping you know because they won't want to smoke anymore and you know they'll get their nicotine from vaping and i'm like uh, dual use hello um but they they're they say well there's this study and that study and that study and i've read some of them and i'm like either they're really small you know small cohort they've got they lacked people in hotels during the course of the, the clinical trial. Did you look at any of those? And I'm just really curious to see your opinion on the studies that they say proves this. I fact, uh, I, can you?
3: <laughs> well, anybody can look at those studies. I, I mean, I think one of the biggest markets for these VLNCs uh, are, have been federal grants that have been studying these, some of these uh, cohorts. And I, I just, the research is full of caveats. As you said, they coerce people. They do all kinds of things to recruit and keep these study subjects. And
1: we need somebody to look at those and really break them down because they're they're using those all the time. And, and I'm seeing medical professionals and people saying, well, they're going to help people quit. And the studies show that they don't compensate like they did with the light cigarettes. So they don't overcompensate and smoke more. As I've seen questions in the chat, people saying, well, what are they going to smoke more? Well, according to their research, they've proven that you won't smoke more. You'll actually smoke 50 percent less after. What was it, 20 weeks? I think was their, their latest PR thing that came out and said that, that I, I think I tweeted that one. I mean, it, it's so, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just can't believe it's true. I just cannot, having smoked for 20 some odd years, I just cannot yeah. imagine if I didn't wasn't getting my nicotine, I would not smoke more. Oh yeah.
0: I mean, just, you know, from a an anecdotal standpoint, you know, uh, <laughs> I would have bought in a pack of those made it through a few of them, Realized that it just wasn't cutting it for me. And I would have just gone and and bought, you know, my my pack of cigarettes. Uh, That would have been probably the start and end of me attempting that product. And honestly, it was, you know, I I go back to my first uh, go at vaping, uh, which was in 2011. And it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a -a cigalike from a gas station that I had picked up. uh, And the technology back then was not nearly as good as it is now. Um, but it didn't do it for me either. And I had just, you know, I had gone right back to the store and I went and I, I bought a pack of my cigarettes. So I I guess I kind of attributed to that is like, if, if people aren't satisfied by a product, I guess is the overarching theme. If you're not satisfied by it, you're just going to go back to what, you know,
1: but what happens when FDA mandates it. And all of a sudden all those cigarettes are the same with no nicotine in them. They're basically forcing the population to quit cold turkey. And they think they're not going to do anything? I don't know. Do you think it's very... Do you think the FDA is actually going to go there, Dr. Radio? Do you think they're actually going to
3: mandate... That that'll be a standard that they'll make... Well, everything's very... Yeah. You know, I I don't think I could possibly comment on what the FDA is going to do. (laughs) uh, But...
1: I just don't know if they could.
3: um, No. No, I, I just don't. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in the black market.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's going to be people's uh, that's going to be you know people's last bastion is going to be um, products off the illicit market, and hopefully, if FDA does something as absurd as is mandating that that um, we have some more products that are are you know better uh, that have been granted marketing authorization right. that people could fall back to. Um, I mean, I, I do not believe in in coercive tactics by any means, or, or prohibition of anything by any means. Uh, but I guess in that that big what if they do this, you know, uh, imaginary scenario here that um, people would at least have a, a source of nicotine to fall back on. Um, that's that's, you know, they're able to legally go and purchase. So
1: now i know we're getting on to an hour and a half here so
0: yeah i I think the last
1: thing we had was danielle's question about baseball which i don't know what that is
0: (laughs) so danielle had brought up uh studies from
2: oh i'm sorry i i I think i've got this and i've asked dr Roddy this before in 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 st louis but i think you know we have a new audience here and this is preserved for posterity um And it was that you know when people think about smokeless tobacco, they always point to the baseball players who, um, by and large, I think you presented this in St. Louis was they're all sort of self-diagnosed, with the exception of maybe one, Uh, and it's uh, about a half dozen well-known baseball players. Uh, And so you know my question at the time, and again, is if that's the perception, if that were actually real wouldn't we see disproportionately higher rates of head and neck cancer among baseball players? Uh, And, 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 but we don't.
3: Well, that's exactly right. And with respect to the baseball players, I've been through several of them and I've discussed several of the cases on my blog. For example, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth uh, everybody blames his cancer on cigars and alcohol and smokeless tobacco. But Babe Ruth had a nasopharyngeal cancer, one in the back of his nose, in his si- back in his sinus. Hmm. Didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. Hmm. And in fact, Babe Ruth, just a, a sidelight, Babe Ruth was one of the first people in the world to get radiation therapy. Hmm. Um, for that, especially for that cancer. But anyway, Tony Gwynn is another one, the San Diego fantastic ball player from San Diego. Tony Gwynn had a cancer of his parotid gland, of the gland that supplies a lot of the saliva to your mouth. You have two big glands and no tobacco use, no tobacco of any sort has ever been implicated in cancer of the salivary glands, Tony Gwynn blamed it on that, but it just it what it, it just wasn't the case, and I can go through some others as well. Uh, f- this is all public information from what I have gleaned from the media, and you know it would be even better if we could look at their medical records, of course, but we can't do that. Right. But uh, the other one was. Um, the base of the pitcher. Uh, I'm blanking on his name, but he apparently came up with a, a node in his neck. And that is indicative of a deep throat cancer that has never been related to anything smokeless because smokeless is all up in the mouth. It doesn't uh, affect the throat. The throat is where. Um, human papillomavirus causes a lot of cancers, especially these days. We've come to know that HPV is a big cause of throat cancer. So, so no, you're exactly right, Alex. Baseball would be, uh, there would be an epidemic of mouth cancer in baseball, especially before. Now, the, that uh, they're not allowed to, or at least there's more stringent rules about smokeless tobacco for the minor leagues and then even the majors, yes. I think, but... Uh,
1: I think that's almost right. like another way that how they fool people is that yes. I, I well, the way you're talking about that, you've got a different kind of cancer for, for HPV. You've got a, uh, another kind of di- various cancers probably in the mouth, and then you probably have different cancers that end up certain parts of your head and neck from smoking. Yes. And then You've also got the drinking. And I mean, it's really interesting that... But, but when you hear the reports, people just say... Oh, you chew. You got some kind of cancer from here up. It must be the chew, and they because they just don't know that. No, it's not that kind of cancer. You wouldn't get that kind of cancer. Then they just make that connection. It's like the airplane crash connection.
3: Absolutely.
1: Go ahead, Alex. I'm yeah, sorry.
2: Yeah. Well, I was gonna it, back to the the, the uh, sort of the policy movement in base. You know, tobacco free baseball was a thing that that happened. I, I assume it's still. I don't know that all major league baseball stadiums have adopted the tobacco free policy, but in the major cities where it was adopted. I'm curious if there is anywhere in the data showing a sort of a corresponding reduction in smokeless tobacco use among young people or even baseball fans.
3: Uh, that, that I don't know that we can get any data about that. You know, again, this was another uh, another crusade from Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, mm-hmm. it's just another step toward prohibition of all tobacco products in all settings, and um, you know I, I I think it was silly, and I think it was especially silly given that smokeless products can now be used invisibly. Yeah, <laughs> somebody carried some nicotine pouches in. To ball game and enjoy tobacco for their entire for the entire game so so they do that in
1: outdoor bands too the all tobacco including including smokeless tobacco or smoke-free tobacco and it's like oh. it's like you're gonna know they get you know chew maybe if you have to spit it's spitting chew but who's gonna know you've got snooze in your mouth that's
0: who's what i kidding? was gonna say is is you know I don't know how open I should now be open about. I uh, I work on a lot of properties that are, you know, they have tobacco free premises signs up all over the place. And I do not hesitate for a second to throw a nicotine pouch or a snus in while I'm there working. Absolutely. I, I don't, you know, I'm not worried about anybody coming over to inspect my gums. Yeah. So
3: exactly. You exactly. know, was, you know they. You have to do mouth checks.
0: Yeah, you, you would have to physically peel open my lip, which is you know that just okay. opens me up for a whole lot of claims that I can make in a legal, <laughs> in a legal court. So. I, you can
3: go to my blog. I've got a great blog post of several years ago on the baseball issue, and I've got people going through like a TSA screen, you know, as they come enter into the stadium, they're going through TSA screening. It's so that we make sure that they're all tobacco free.
0: Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It's Pat it a- down. Open your lips. Bend over. <laughs> cough. The whole nine. Good lord. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: well, that was a picture I didn't mean.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just, no, you know, I got. That's you. a great place <laughs> to entertain. Right, right? You're there, there so. with body cavity searches. There you yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, also, please don't use tobacco as a suppository. But anyways. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: no. Um really yeah it is it is uh we are kind of at the top of the hour here i know alex's dog is probably getting hungry and uh <laughs> as he usually does right around right around six o'clock or so um and we do have some legislation to get through as well which you are more than welcome to 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 hang out for dr adu um but i definitely wanted to you know just say thank you for joining us today thank you for coming and All helping right. us debunk some of these myths and and you know, kind of setting the record straight on a lot of these products, uh, because as we all know, we are still drowning in misinformation here in this country, not only about vaping, you know, but also about oral tobacco, the different types of it um, and, and what people's real risks were. Uh, so thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, and thank you again for joining us on our Twitter space the other week. Uh, As well to talk even more in depth about that NYTS data for people out there who are more curious about, um, you know, Dr. Radu's analysis of that NYTS data, please go check out uh, our Twitter space that we had him on for that's available, I believe, still on Twitter for a little while, uh, because those go away after like 30 days or so. But that is also up and completely available on SoundCloud and wherever you find our podcast that you can you can check that out there as well. And his blog, um,
1: of course, well, and
0: obviously yes, his blog as well. Um, but I guess I guess that's that. That was just my kind of wrap-up speech. Just just lots of thank yous um, across the board. Yeah.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh CASA is a special organization, and I really respect and honor you guys. And I'd love to come back sometime when you need another guest. So We'd I love will that. depart and uh, go to dinner, but. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right, Alex, what do you say? (laughs) Should we do the thing? Uh, Do you want to do the thing? Just do it. (laughs) All right. Let's do the thing. I will admit one thing and I need to start doing it because I feel bad for podcast listeners. This doesn't seem very loud on our show. That bumper seems moderately like, you know, a good volume when, when it goes into the podcast, it's loud. And I feel feel like sometimes I, you know, I really should be dropping volumes on every one of those bumpers all the time. But a lot of times I forget to do that. And so I want to apologize for podcast listeners out there who hear that bumper and have like PTSD from their damaged eardrums when they hear it. But uh, I don't know. I'll get a version of it that I'll start. We'll start putting it. Maybe we can drop the volume on or something like that. But, anyways, that was just my my sympathies to podcast users. Real quick, post bumper, Alex. What do we have going on this week? What do we need to keep our eyes and ears on? You said we've got a, you know, kind of some some recaps and and a few uh, little heads up things to to put out into the universe today.
2: Yeah, I'll start with relatively new uh, in Oregon. Um, this is uh, Washington County, Oregon, and just to kind of set the table here, we don't have anything really extensive about this going on because this is a ballot initiative, uh, and that's incredibly difficult for an organization like ours to to get involved in. Uh, it's very expensive, and you know we're not capable of raising millions of dollars to run a campaign against a ballot don't question. We. Um, I think, you know, the Reynolds put up $10 million to do uh, the ballot initiative in California. Um, and so I know that this is a local thing. Everybody go buy merch
0: right now. <laughs> we uh, we need buy to buy the raise merch. the equivalent. You, mean, you know, we need it's to raise like $10 million. I don't know, we're
2: talking dollars, about OnlyFans
1: in the chat, so I don't, but I don't know if we're going to go there.
2: Yeah, so yeah. no, we're not. Um, But just to to do this really quickly, um, uh, this is a a referendum to overturn Ordinance 878. So this would repeal the flavor ban in Washington County, Oregon. Uh, The election is coming up. You got a month to start spreading the word among your friends and neighbors and urge them to vote yes on this referendum. Uh, This would overturn the flavor ban. There's a lot in this thing Uh, i haven't really done a a huge deep dive on you know all of the history and 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 who's behind you know the ordinance and and who's involved in in getting the ballot initiative uh on the ballot but suffice it to say there is one and you should support it Um, but this actually goes pretty far and repeals a lot of other tobacco regulations Um, You know, perhaps if the people who promoted this ordinance had had a little bit more foresight, they wouldn't have lumped all of this stuff together uh, because obviously smoke-free products and combustible products are two completely different things. Uh, But uh, they did, they threw everything in, the kitchen sink, the baby, and the bathwater. And so now people in Washington County, Oregon, are stuck with trying to repeal the whole mess, uh, which is likely something to stand in the way of other support for this. Uh, You may have a lot of folks out there who see vaping and support it and want to repeal this but also have, you know, legacy opinions about tobacco. Um, Again, all of that to say, if you are in Washington County, Oregon, promoting this is probably going to fall on your shoulders. Um, And we're even debating, when you get into elections, it's a a different kind of paperwork and compliance, Uh, and so this may not be something that we can get engaged in. But if we are in a position where we can put up materials and and things that you could print out and take around to vape shops or tobacco shops uh, and encourage people to support the the referendum here, um, then we'll do it. But for now, it's just an announcement on our website and everybody in Washington County should be aware of it. Um, And uh, and yeah, that's that you got a month. So um, Washington County, Oregon, we'll get back to the big clicky map here. Um, I love a good clicky map. Yeah, love a good... Sorry, clicky. I just
0: get really excited about clicky maps. Carry on. That's,
2: I, I appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's helping to supplement my lack of enthusiasm. I'm <laughs> um, here for you. I just want you to know that. I'm here for <laughs> <with> you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so HB 1570, I can't remember if we had these details last week, um, but this is now moving to a conference committee. This is, uh, as far as I understand it, kind of the last step. I don't think that this needs to be voted on by a full chamber. the uh, Conference committees are made up of representatives from both the Senate and the House. Uh, and so they will ultimately decide the fate of this bill, which is a flavor ban. Um, and uh, we are expecting a decision on this coming up here in mm-hmm. a week or so. Uh, so it's the week of the 25th, which is another week and a couple days away. Um, no, no hard and solid date there. Um, but uh, if you are in Hawaii, continue making contact with your lawmakers uh, and urge them to oppose this. Uh, this, le- this week is your last week, really, to get your voices heard. Um, so please take advantage of our engagement. Um, you can also use the site to look up. You can look up. It's on the call to action page. Uh, look up your lawmakers and give them a phone call. Your voice absolutely matters. Um, so that is Hawaii HB 1570. Now, on that,
1: um, Alex, really quick, um, <clears throat> I know Hawaii has been kind of an annual thing of trying to ban flavors, so some people might be a little jaded. Is this progressed a little further than those past ones that people need to take this seriously?
2: Always not, take it seriously. Would, oh, yeah, absolutely always take, but always I'm just take saying. it seriously. There's, there's, <laughs> no, there's no distinction between how far it makes it in the process. Um, as you noted, right. this, is, this is an annual attempt. We see that in New York. Uh, you know, the New York flavor ban, for example, was something that had been brought up years and years and years, and then suddenly, uh, of course, the anti-vaping activists used uh, COVID-19 in the Valley to convince lawmakers in Albany that, that they needed to pass this flavor ban in order to protect kids, and of course, all the data has come out since, clearly making it, making it clear that vaping had nothing to do with either of these things. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just always a threat, always treat it the same way. It's, it's, a, it's a rattlesnake, you know, just just deal with it like that. Um, and I don't know, I don't exactly know that this has gotten farther, uh, further in the process than any other proposals. Hawaii is a mess every year. There are just tons of committees. They're made up of like three people uh, and, and it tends to bounce around between all of these committees. So it's really easy to lose track of bills. Uh, and that's probably why I don't have a good read on, you know, whether this has made it further than any others. Um, it feels like this has made it, further than any other flavor ban um, making it all the way to conference committee Um, so yeah we're treating this as you know it's still it's still kind of probable that that this gets through Um, so absolutely take advantage of what we've got up um same thing in 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 colorado uh as far as progress um uh well sort of it's not going to a conference committee uh it is going to appropriations Uh, and so, uh, if you are in Colorado, absolutely continue making contact with lawmakers. Uh, and I don't know if I have this set up to go to the, I, I may have, I've been trying to be better about making sure that this goes to some sort of committee staff. Uh, and so, um, keep, keep taking advantage of our call to action in Colorado and get those emails in to your folks. I believe that is it. I I, uh, I mentioned San Diego. We don't have an engagement up for this just yet, um, and I will probably put that out this week. Um, but the, the and it, it, I I can guarantee you, there's someone in California probably shaking their head and saying it's too late. Uh, but this is going to consideration by the full council. All of the public comment, uh, public hearing stuff has happened. So this is sort of a last ditch effort to get the rest of the council to reject a flavor ban. Uh, but it's incredibly difficult because San Diego County, I believe has already adopted a flavor ban. And of course, all the you know, California and Massachusetts are kind of the same animal um, for some weird reason. Um, the, the, so you're contrasting the puritanical roots of America with the, the live free expansion, create and, and live free man kind of vibes you get in California. Um, but it's it's the same same strategy: create chaos at the st- at the local and, and county level, uh, and then make it into a state law. So San Diego is already wrapped up in that. Um, and uh, by all means, if you if you can send a message to your city council members, and we will make that as easy as possible. Um, go ahead and do it now before they vote. Um, this
1: sounds defeatist, but I'm just hoping I'm still alive in the day when all these people have to just eat their words and get egg on their face and realize that they just screwed this all up. And I'm just going to. <sighs> I'm sorry. Because you know... just... they're so wrong. And it's like, how do they not say they're so wrong? And they just think they're so, you know, that they're 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 the righteous and, you know. Yeah, God, you know, I said that one time. The Lord, I, I
2: will say, we've gotten off the legislative thing. I'm done with the legislative, by the way. So, if you're listening on the podcast, you can tune out for this, or you can hear What's us
3: second?
2: talk about our the feelings. Step. Um,
0: are you guys sticking um, around for feelings? If you are, thank you. <laughs> and,
1: Maybe your podcast people like me too. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking the same thing. And they're they're just like, yeah, Kristen, I was thinking the same thing, but I can't talk to the podcast. So thanks for speaking for me.
2: (laughs) Um, You can absolutely leave comments on the podcast, though, if you're
0: interested. You can (laughs)
2: Alaska, I I think you picked this up in a news feed this week, Kristen. Yeah. Alaska is still looking at SB45. I went and checked it. Um, the only update from this week was that it's it's sort of coming out of the Senate Finance Committee and it's awaiting the next committee assignment. Um, so nothing that's going to be narrowly focused on a committee just yet, as far as our engagement goes. Uh, but certainly, if you are in Alaska, continue sending messages, continue making phone calls, continuing urging opposition to this uh, bill, which is a seventy-five whole seventy-five percent wholesale tax on the products. And I think. Um, I'm not sure if there were also restrictions on um, uh, shipping. Uh, Alaska and Hawaii are the two states that aren't directly affected by the PACT Act. Uh, and so there you can still do shipping intrastate uh, in those places. And I think both states are looking at updating their code to prohibit. Um, I, I didn't even use my, my visual aid. Um, Looking at, at stuff to update their their prohibitions or, or regulations on shipping, um, but right now I think both of them have uh, in, in statute essentially using a third party uh, database to verify the purchaser's age and and identity and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, pay attention to Alaska. Things uh, are still moving there. And and then now back to the feelings. Now I, I'm
1: done, but I already expressed my feelings. I'm done. What,
2: I, I, what you were saying, Kristen, I, I struggle with that, too, because I don't like to be a vengeful or revengeful or vindictive person. Uh, to me, that that sort of fits in with the uh, sort of punishment based policy that we're all fighting against. And
1: right.
2: it is I think it's a very human desire to see to see justice done by way of punishment. And I, there was some some thoughtful dialogue on Twitter this week about, um, you know, people confuse punishment. Punishment with justice, um, and and I I I think I have to do a lot of work, you know, measuring my thoughts and feelings about this. Yeah, I absolutely want people's feet held to the fire, which is why I asked the you know what did they know and when did they know it question about smokeless tobacco. Right. Uh, and, and it is it was you know in the eighties they had this information in front of them, and they chose to, to distort uh you know what the what the public was was receiving in terms of information uh and and it's i think it's absolutely important that that there is accountability here uh, and and i but i don't want people i i don't think it's productive to advocate for people to have their lives and careers ruined i just want them to adhere to the, the I, scientific principles of, I don't care you know, if I just get an apology. <laughs> I, I, I don't even, it, it to me, it doesn't even matter if I get an apology. I just want people to, you know, just just get comfortable with the fact that we all make mistakes. We do things for weird reasons. But as soon as we understand that we've done something wrong, and this is something that Kassaw is going to be held to as well. If we get five, 10 years down the line, We find out that vaping is causing some horrible disease that we didn't, we didn't see, we didn't see coming. It's not, it's not showing up in the data, by the way. It's not, it's not there in the science. So we really don't have any reason to believe that vaping is going to cause these things. But if it turns out it does, we're on the hook. We're going to have to come out and say, we are now wrong and have to change our messaging and change our mission. I mean, that's just, that's that's the responsible thing to do. And I think it's fair to expect that of these other organizations of people who are researching this stuff and not telling the whole story about tobacco and nicotine and, and how we can be doing different things to more productively change people's lives, help people change their lives. Um, and, and that's what I expect from these folks. I. I don't need them. I don't need heads on pikes. And, you know,
1: No, I don't. And I'm generally, if you ask my husband, I am generally not a person who holds grudges. He is yeah. for sure. But I'm definitely, I don't, I don't check for sure. I generally don't hold grudges and, but, there, but there's just so they have just abused us for so long. You know, people who are tobacco harm reduction, they've, they've lied about us. They've called us spots. They've called us shills. They've, they've called us trolls, uh, trolls <laughs> addicts, um, just, you know, you're just an addict. So, you know, that's why you're just pushing this. I mean, they've just been so mean and so cruel. And so, and then, and then, they and then just seeing all the lies and all the misrepresentations and, and the, the going out of their way to try to find something wrong with these products, you know, that, that it's just gotten me to the point where it's like, I just, you're going to get your comeuppance. And I'm not saying it has to be them losing their jobs or anything, but it just having them come out and saying, yeah, we were wrong. Just having that would make me feel better. Even if they're not even feeling bad about saying it, even if they have to admit that they were wrong. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm alive to see that day that it's not going to be so far down the line that so many more people are going to die from it before that, you know, and that's, that's what really concerns me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really I don't really hold a grudge or anything. But by the same token, we might have you said we might have and that's what I was going to say is that we might have our comeuppance or whatever. But by along the same lines, we've always held that if we found something out, that it's our duty, that mm-hmm. we would let people know that we're not going to hide that. So if we find out that, you know diacetyl or some kind of cinnamon was another one, you know, or batteries are exploding or anything. We've tried to make sure we let our membership know about this stuff and let anybody know about this and put it out. So I feel like we've been responsible. So the chances of us later on down the line, yeah, if something comes out with, you know, it's causing a cancer or something, I don't think it's so much on us because we've never said, this is 100% safe. You should have no worries. You know, we've never said that. We've never misrepresented it that way. And we've always had it in our um, kind of our ethics that we're not gonna hide stuff if it comes up because we're trying to be the truth tellers. And if the truth is something, you need to stop me putting this in your vape or don't do that or whatever, we're gonna say that. So I think I think we kind of cover ourselves. I'm I'm very proud of us for that fact, so.
2: And with that, I, positive, think, I think that's a good ending.
1: spot to end.
0: <laughs>
2: that is a
1: good like positive
0: field We're sharing <laughs> the feelings. I love it. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we should all strive to, uh, you know, be more, be able to be open and honest when we make mistakes or whatever it is. And, and I don't personally care about a, a massive public health uh, a, apology from those on high, as much as I care more about, you know, course correction from this point on, I think that would be, you know, the biggest apology if we could, just kind of correct course here with nicotine policy, not only here, but around the world for sure. Anyways. Yeah, this is a great place to wrap it up. We are rapidly approaching the two hour mark here. So for those of you still around, thank you. Thank you. A huge thank you to all of you for sticking around. Um, Let's see the spiel. I got to do the spiel. Okay. Cassaw at Casa.org. I haven't, I feel like I haven't done the spiel in forever and it's only been a week. (laughs) Anyways, the spiel, you guys Uh, head over to Casa If you're not a member yet, go ahead and join. It's absolutely free. We don't spam you with a thousand emails a day. Uh, You can sign up for all the the different things and and, uh, check out the blog every week that Kristen works so hard on Uh, head over to our site, which Danielle has worked tirelessly on to make absolutely beautiful. I'm getting there, Danielle. Jeez, I'm in the middle of the Casa part of the spiel. She doesn't even give me a minute, but yeah, absolutely. Check out merch. I mentioned it earlier. Danielle also worked really hard on some awesome new designs and there is going to be a sale, uh, starting next week. I don't remember the exact time somewhere around like 10 something at some point somewhere in America, the sale starts on Monday. Uh, yes. Ooh, Nick showed up. Thank you, Nick. Good stream. I was hella late. He said, yeah, you missed Dr. Better late never. You did. Um, but yeah, head over to Casah.org, sign up, become a member. It's absolutely free. On top of that, we have a state group on Facebook for every state that exists in America. All of them, I promise, they're all there. So head over to your state. You can join that state group, get more involved in all of this. The more of us and the more involved we all are, it's just better. It's just a, It's just a good thing. Uh, so head over to casa.org For podcast listeners, there will be two versions of this here podcast available on Monday. The full version with Dr. Radu here answering all of the, the questions and, and all of the brilliant things that he said. Uh, that'll be available. And also just the, the short little rundown from Alex this week on legislation that will also be available for you as well on a separate Separate podcast, a little uh, quick commute to work, kind of need to know information podcast, but definitely give the full thing a listen. Uh, And please, wherever you are right now, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, on Twitter, please click that like button. Click that share button. Get it out into the world. Make sure you're subscribed here, please. It definitely helps us. It definitely helps get the word out across the board. You know, spread that. Preach that THR gospel Uh, Into the universe, and I think As far as I know As far as I know, to my knowledge We're all here next week, same time Same place, so 4.30pm Eastern 1.30 over on the other coast You gotta use your Google Foo for everywhere in between Or around there, anywhere else in the world That's it, that was a horrible Version of the spiel, you guys I tried real hard, I just I feel like I haven't done it in like a year And I just did it Seven days ago, I don't know what happened. My well, brain. somebody
1: was... in the chat said we should do this every week.
0: <laughs> we should. You got it. Okay, I propose that we do this every week too. Well, I mean, we kind of do I do it so. every
1: week. I mean, the only time we don't is if there's a conflict. But for the most part, the the goal is to do it every week. And Bruni, it's C A S A A, not S S A. double
2: S is uh yeah. Got
1: it. Got it. Um, got to get that. We don't want ass in the middle of our name. Come on.
0: I no, I said I said Kasa bumpers in a different show I did years ago. And and I used to always say it like real weird. And people used to pick on me for it because my, my bumper always said, head over to kasa.org. That's C A S A A. That's just how I said it. Yeah, because people would be like, Kasa. Yeah. Awesome. And I always used I'm, to, when we would have this bumper that Alex had actually, it was like a 30 second little bumper promo for Kasa, something I ran in every podcast that I did. And every time afterwards, I would be like, CASA, because it's just, it's soothing, you guys, when you, you just, CASA, it's a nice way to wind down. It's a beautiful acronym. If they, <laughs> you tell know, somebody's like, hey, what's CASA stand for? And you're like, Consumer Advocates for Smoke-Free Alternatives Association, rolls right off the tongue, you know?
1: <laughs> Bernie's, Bernie's apologizing. That's okay, it's not like we've never seen that happen before
2: <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say for a year for like a year or so when i would see things and want to send myself an email with a link i was sending it to the wrong
1: oh no
2: <laughs> clark at c-a-s-s-a dot org oh no nobody but it, it didn't get bounced back to me so maybe there's an alex out there who's getting all kinds of stuff <laughs> we're so just like, just this like wow else? this so,
0: is really useful stuff yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh,
0: anyways that's gonna do it for us this week you guys thank you so much for being here thanks for tuning in thanks you to everybody who is here every week you guys, you guys are incredible rock. we'll be back next week we're definitely gonna do this every week i think that's a fantastic idea we're right? We will. <laughs> all uh, right everybody, be excellent to each other stay safe out there take care we'll see you next time